Welcome to the Birth Uprising podcast with me, Jade. And me, Alex. We're two birth experts who aren't afraid to say it how it is. Join us weekly where we will discuss everything pregnancy, birth and postnatal. We'll be joined by special guests with all sorts of expertise. So be ready to get informed, get knowledgeable and realise how fucking amazing you truly are. and silas hello there jade and river yes we are both joined by our littlest boys who were both meant to be asleep but have both uh, decided that no this is not the time to sleep therefore they're joining us this is all part of being uh, a parent with a business could you imagine you loved your mother more than sleep because i can't no. <laughs> love my mum not as much as i love sleep yeah love you mum you probably do listen to this podcast oh, so your mum definitely listens to this she's like our biggest fan she's so cute she's got to be one of our three listeners hasn't she (laughs) (laughs) she's been listening to it several times yes that's why there's uh less listeners than uh plays that's my mum sorry mum our listener i'm not taking the piss (laughs) <laughs> we love it what do you, do you know what i'm gonna say what you've been doing but i know what you've been doing because i spent the whole day yesterday but i um would like to say last time we were on the podcast i think it's last time the time before i can't remember because days have blurred at the moment i boasted about having gotten a lot more sleep recently oh, and, like, oh, yeah. and do you know what this is my advice to anyone out there if you start getting sleep don't talk about it because you jinx it. I feel like that should be like number one rule. You get pregnant, the first thing people should say to you is, right, okay, well, when you start getting sleep when your baby's here, don't talk about it. Keep it quiet because when the moment you open your mouth, it'll go to shit again. And that is what has happened. This little man is getting uh, five teeth for at the moment and he is utterly miserable, which means that I am utterly miserable. Like he's honestly waking so much the other night um he woke up and I was like right I've had enough of doing this now Luke you go in Luke's my husband you go in hold him I'm gonna go and make myself a chair in our bed and he's like what do you mean I was like he will only sleep on me so I made myself this extravagant throne to sleep in and I'd got like cushioned under my arms so that I could keep my arms up so they weren't flopping to the side and like I met it just it was fucking ridiculous and he slept on me the entire night with his plastic Iggle Piggle and Upsy Daisy in his hands. Fantastic. Honestly, like the things we do. I am definitely trying not to jinx it with this little fella. Um, I won't even say how he sleeps, because um, I think you're totally right. With my first, she slept through the night, like probably 11 p.m. till 7 a.m. Um, from about six weeks old. And then about three and a half months, she started waking fucking frequently like all night and then she didn't sleep through the night until she was almost three um and I was dead she she literally would sleep about eight hours in a 24-hour period and the rest of the time she was just running around with a big smile on her face getting into all sorts of mischief um so yeah keep it to your fucking self if your child sleeps well it won't last it won't. It was won't. And it just honestly, you mess yourself up. I was really, I, I was getting like eleven till five at night. He was sleeping through, and I was like, 
this is this is amazing. I'm a different person. I had so much energy. I had so much will to and want to do things. And then we're back to River's uh, signature sleep, which is waking up every half an hour. You can shut up. Stop it. You can be <laughs> napping right now, and you've decided against it. So don't go whinging like you're tired. Yeah, this is your your fault that you're awake. Nobody's made you wake up. Um, what was River's experience of this group this morning then? Right, so. I am not a, I don't like enforced fun. Um, <laughs> so I don't like baby groups. I always feel like the weirdo. Like I always feel like that as a parent, like the fact that my kids are at school now means I have to interact with other normal human beings. And I'm just, I hate small talk. I'm really bad at it. Um, so I was like, right, I'm going to go to a group. It's going to be great. Uh, so I booked him on to do messy play. And I thought that would be lovely because he loves getting messy. That would be great. And because he is miserable at the moment from the teething, I thought it would maybe distract him. No. It just everything. He picked it up. He looked at it. He cried. Just everything. And I think I was there about 20 minutes. And I was just like, what's the point? You're miserable. I'm miserable. I'm not doing it. So I just came home and thought that is the best for everyone. Like, I'm not putting myself through it. Um, I'm really crap with baby groups, like really crap with them. I just, I don't know how to interact like a normal human being. No, I do find like, it's better to go to something with your baby than it is to go to something alone because you can use them as a buffer. But I will have like that kind of, I will tend to only talk to my baby. (laughs) So like, what was the fucking point? Like, why have I come to this when I could have done this in my living room? Yeah. Um, and not had to have the stress of getting out the house and packing stuff and getting there and all that and being around other people. Um, so I didn't really do that with Ezekiel and I haven't done it with Silas. I'm not like against going to something, but I feel like it's better when you go with somebody that, you know, it's kind of like a time out of the house where you've done something together, even if you don't talk to anyone else. Yeah. I don't mind. I take in swimming on a Monday, um, which I really, I actually really like doing that with him. But I think that's because there's no like chit chat time. It's you get in the pool, you do your stuff, you get out, you get changed, you go home. That's great. And actually, I quite like a few of the uh, the mums in there. They're quite nice. They're nice. They're nice to have a little chat to. You know, we we get unchanged in front of each other. <laughs> I say we know each other quite intimately at this point when you go swimming with people. So maybe that's it. Maybe the whole way of making parent friends is you just have to get naked in front of each other and that takes away any of the awkwardness, weirdly. Yeah, take away the awkwardness and also give have like a, a task or an activity to do that you're focusing mm-hmm. on rather than, oh my God, this is so awkward, this is so awkward. <laughs> there you go. That's our uh, TBU's advice to uh, parenting groups. Obviously, if you're a social butterfly, yeah. you'll have no fucking problem, but yeah. that ain't us. <laughs> My and probably if you follow us, you're probably a bit of a weirdo as well. So uh, <laughs> I love those people though that can go in and just like talk and be like, "Hey, how are you?" And they just they they really I like finding those people to talk to because it means I don't have to talk. Yeah, talk at me. They'll ask me a question. I'll answer that question in as little detail as I can, and then they'll just talk about something to do with them. And I'm like, I like this conversation because I'm having to do minimal stuff in it, and all I really know what how to talk about is birth yeah see and then like gentle parenting um and swearing and most people don't want to talk about them things so i'm happy to listen to other people's stories 
as long as they don't expect too much of me in return. Yeah, if you just get to like pause as someone who's sociable. Yeah, a little fakery. I love that. That's fine, but not a problem. Um, I did get asked this morning though, and this made me go, oh, I don't know if I can come back here. Oh, what do your tattoos mean? Oh no, I hate that. I mean, nothing, nothing. Um, I can make something up if it appeases you. Like, not a problem. Some of them mean something, but only very, like, tiny mean something. Like, yeah. what, what does that mean? I mean, it's a moon on my finger. It doesn't mean fucking anything, love. Yeah, I like the pictures. That's it. Yeah, they like, look nice. Yeah. It's like asking somebody, what did your T-shirt mean? Yeah. Just like the picture on the front of it, actually. Yeah, just, just look great. No, what did what did it mean? I don't know. I once fingered somebody who whose last name was Moon. Like it mean anything? Like honestly, get over it. Oh, I know people are saying. I'm sure that was really really useful for all the antisocial parents out there. Uh, <laughs> hear that we also are not socialising our babies, and <laughs> they're still fine. <laughs> they love each other, our children, so that's fine. Yeah. I mean, River adores Silas, especially his eyes. A big fan of trying to scoop them out of his face. Yeah, thinks he's collecting marbles, doesn't he? Yeah, that's fine, you know. You what we gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> right. Um, so this week we have spoken with Lucy at Mind the Mama. Um, full disclosure, Lucy is one of my oldest friends. I have uh, a tattoo of Lucy on my back, not like her full face, that'd be mental, um, but an outline of us and the two of my other closest friends. And Lucy is just, she's brilliant. She does a lot of postnatal work. She's a sling consultant. She's a starting um, solids facilitator um, and postnatal doulaing is something she does as well. She's currently doing a sleep course as well, which is excellent um and we got lucy on because we wanted to talk to her about her v-back journey didn't we yeah so we obviously briefly spoke about kind of her postnatal work and the sleep and all the stuff that we normally nerd out on mm-hmm. but the main focus was her first birth sort of how everything up until that point led to the birth experience that she had how she felt about it and then obviously how she wanted to do things differently next time around. So it was really great. I'm sure it was very therapeutic for Lucy to come and tell her birth story and very interesting for us to hear that perspective. And I bet if you've had a similar first birth and you are aiming to have a VBAC second time round, listening to Lucy's journey will really help you out. Absolutely. Um, it's worth saying that Lucy's first birth was not a positive one. So her first birth is not her trying to paint this in a positive light. She's very, very honest about what happened and what she kind of reflects on is what she'd have done differently. Um, the things that she was told that weren't necessarily true. And um, we have split this into two parts because it was um, long. And we wanted to give Lucy the time to talk about it properly. Um, And so this is part one of her birth stories. This is her first birth with uh, lovely Bertie. Um, So give it a listen and then, yeah, enjoy. 
Well, we are here this week with the lovely Lucy from Mind the Mama. Um, Lucy is our resident slings, um, weaning, and postnatal, really, um, person within TBU. Um, so, hey, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. What's been going on? Uh, well, not too much. I've not been sleeping much, but that's just pretty standard over here. Mm, yeah. Which one of it of your children is it that's keeping you up? Oh, it's Otis, my, my youngest one. Yeah, yeah, he just wants the boob constantly at the moment. So, yeah, that's that's fun. They are excellent boobs, so there you go. <laughs> well, I mean, I have been told, so. <laughs> Usually like some creepy old men, but sure, I'll take it. Yeah, this is the thing. When you start to get older, you got to take it from where yeah. you can take it from, haven't you? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Compliment. Exactly. Yeah. Hundred percent, absolutely. Um, and so you are here this week to chat with us about um your births. Um, Lucy had a V back, her second birth, and kind of talk through your why you decided to go for that and how you achieved that. Um, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing work wise at the moment because you're not just slings weaning; you're actually doing some other exciting stuff, aren't you? Yeah. So I am. Uh, well. As you can tell, I am super like exhausted and I understand that (laughs) loads of other parents are super exhausted. So I just want to help out as much as I can. So I am a sleep coach now, which I am very excited about just trying to get people some sleep. That's that's pretty much it. Like, as you both know, can't it can't function. It can't function. (laughs) Some people have such terrible and like with with Bertie my first as you know he just was up most of the night and it's just exhausting isn't it like you just can't function and you know if you've got to go back to work or even just even if you do just have to look after the kids during the day or kid you know it's just too much isn't it so just getting some gentle gentle modifications or even if there's something a bit more serious going on like just talking through clients with that it's yeah exciting it's necessary as well because we live we live in a world of a lot of sleep training and crying it out and that's something that I really don't like personally um and there's a lot of it out there and there's a lot of places pushing it because it's a multi-million dollar pound industry um and actually a lot of children if they are not sleeping through the night there's probably a reason behind that so rather than being like let Christ have sleep actually why why and that's something that I and Alex as well has become really nerdy on because of basically River um (laughs) and his lack of sleep and like connecting it to tongue tie and oral dysfunction and all of this stuff so it's really exciting that there's going to be somebody out there doing that and especially in Northamptonshire which is where we are all based I don't really think there's anybody doing that sort of stuff in Northampton not that I know of that I know of in that way um obviously I am doing a course on that as well more for our kind of online things not to be really for clients but um I have really noticed that there's this real thing with parents where because they're not aware of this sort of thing and all the things that can help sleep they kind of think that it's uh the option is sleep training with like cry it out and things or doing nothing at all when there's nothing that could help and so getting that information out there that actually there can be little things that can be done just paying attention to 
sleep pressure and wake windows and all this sort of thing that actually can make parents feel like they're in control of some aspects of their child's sleep and that it's not just something they have to suffer through because, well, you know, you signed up to have a child, which I think is what people feel like. And then they yeah. end up really rubbish and they're never quite sure if it's something that they're doing. And having that information can mean that even if they're not making massive changes to sleep, they can be mindful of what's going on kind of day to day with their child's routine and stuff. Yeah. And and also, you know, a big part of it is the first step to to sort of helping with sleep and getting parents to sleep is actually asking for help. And sometimes if people pay for help, it feels less like a failure I think and then that can be a stepping stone to actually do you know what I do need my mum's help or I do need my mother-in-law's help you know or whoever is around so that I can get that sleep you know it might actually be completely biologically normal that your baby is is sleeping how they're supposed to be sleeping but you're just knackered which is also you know I know it's an unpopular opinion it's valid but it's it is sometimes is just the case and it's just a phase and it's gonna um but it's just how are you gonna cope with that and you know just being being able to be point pointed in the right direction can really help you and really help your mental health I mean and also physical health as well like that's it's it's a twofold isn't it it is you're right and I think I don't know about you, but I always think getting the information out there before your baby is actually born is really important. Like, obviously, when I had Rudy, my first, I was the first out of my group of very small friends. Let's not pretend like I'm very popular. Um, and let and at the time, I think Lucy probably was my only female friend. Um, and everyone else was our friends are gay men. And so I um, didn't really have anybody around me who'd had babies before. And Rudy was born and he didn't sleep through the night. And I've been told. Oh, don't go sleep because you'll definitely your baby will 100% die and I he wouldn't sleep and I, I was like so confused and I just thought what is wrong with him I do not understand this but if I'd just been told beforehand what's biologically normal and it's okay to be knackered and actually you don't feel like you're failing if you're not like enjoying every second of the day because you haven't slept all night I feel like that for me would have made the difference and I probably wouldn't have had postnatal depression as badly as I did have and then when you fast forward seven years to me having river river is a bad sleeper because of oral dysfunction because of problems that are there I now know that and what that means is I wake up in the morning having had three four hours sleep and although I'm knackered I can be like it's fine I'm doing what I can I've got things in place that I am doing and those things that are helping me mean that I can get on with my day and it also means I know that if I'm up through the night sometimes I'm going to have to wake my husband up at 5 30 in the morning to take river so that I can have a couple of hours sleep there and that in itself was a big thing for me because I do not like feeling like I'm having to have other people help me I am a doer and I do not like that so having that information first time round, it would have meant so much to me and the fact that you are there giving that to people before they have their babies as well I think that's so important yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, like it would have helped me so much with Bertie. Um, I I thought he broke me by six months. I just remember because it, it was about Christmas time. I just remember just crying and crying and crying, just being like, I just don't know what to do. And of course, you know, I was breastfeeding him and I, I understand people think that they're being really helpful and they say, well, why don't you try formula? 
but that doesn't actually solve the problem all it does is it means that someone else can do the feed but that's it's not it's not problem solving it's actually just creating another another issue because then if they started giving in formula then my milk supply would have dropped you know it's all these things that well-meaning people you know tell you and luckily I didn't because I just thought, well, how is that going to help the situation? I'm like, that's how just my brain worked. Yeah. Even though I was completely, you know, yeah. I was not there. <laughs> I'd left the building. I, I still understood well. that it wasn't the right yeah. thing for me. I think it makes you feel like a bit of a failure if you're wanting to breastfeed as well. Like if someone says, just Absolutely. just do, give formula. And there's nothing, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with formula whatsoever, but if you are wanting to breastfeed and someone says the answer to your problems is to stop breastfeeding, for me, that's like, I just want to moan. Don't tell me to stop yeah. breastfeeding. Like if I'm saying breastfeeding is hard, if I'm saying I'm knackered, that's not me going, please tell me to stop breastfeeding. Yeah, like, I hate that if somebody says that to me. It makes me very cross. But, well, why can't I just have like a healthy, happy baby that's also breastfed? Why are you making out like my breastfeeding is a problem and that I'm causing these issues that I'm complaining about? Mm. I think I just want to vent. Yeah, the, I think the misconception, especially with sleep, is that it's the breastfeeding that's causing the sleep, but it's not at all, is it? It's, it's you know, well, it could be many things. I'm not going to diagnose anything now, but it could be, it could be anything. It could be developmental. It could be, you know, an underlying issue like you've had with River. You know, it, it could be anything. So or they could just be a pain in the fucking ass, which I definitely he may have oral dysfunction, but he's still a pain in the ass. I love the kid, but bloody hell, there is something I, I've never had a kid like it. He is <laughs> there's a glint in that boy's eyes. I'm telling you, whatever he does when he's older, it's either going to be great or he's going to go to prison. Like there's no other two ways about it. Like I can't <laughs> see another way out of it. But yeah, I've kind of gone off on a tangent there, but that's what we're all about. And that's what we enjoy. Um, and before we move on to the next bit. How's your stomach? <laughs> this is a question we've been asking everyone and far everyone gets very passionate about it. <laughs> so we would like to know in your wildest dreams, if you could have something from anywhere, from multiple places, from anywhere in the world, any time of your life, what would be your dream meal after birth? We want to hear main sides, pudding, drink, you name it. What's that dream meal that you would have after you've popped a baby out? So this might be quite controversial. But I was never actually that hungry after I gave birth. Either times. Controversial. controversial. I knew it would. (laughs) (laughs) So like, actually, what I had after my C-section was probably the best thing for me, which was... um, (laughs) My mum brought me like a homemade fruit salad. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and you know, I loved it. It was just so refreshing and like, oh, because it's full of sugar as well, isn't it? So it was just perfect. And I, I like, honestly, that was the best thing. Yeah. So I wouldn't eat too much. I just have fruit and just lovely, fresh things. Like I just... I know that some people want pizzas and like all the carbs, but I'm just like, I've just had something finally come out of me that big. (laughs) I don't want to put anything in there for a little while. You can't see if you're listening to this podcast, but Alex and I are shaking our heads at Lucy, like what are you on? Like, honestly. I knew it would be controversial. (laughs) 
So, I mean, normally we would ask, what's your dream meal and what did you actually have? And it turns out that you've been living the dream, Lucy. Yeah, I mean, I had a horrendous birth, but the meal afterwards <laughs> was grand. And what about with Otis? What did you, what would be your dream after a vaginal birth so, then? I, I was trying to remember what I had. So I got offered a uh, the tea and toast thing, but honestly... I looked at it and I was just like, that looks disgusting. <laughs> so I didn't actually have anything. And actually, I don't remember having anything afterwards. But, you know, Scott, bless him, being the fantastic birth partner, who's just feeding me like these. Um, I made some homemade, um, you know, like protein ball things like peanut butter, honey and oats. And he was just feeding me the whole time that, I, you know. I was in labour, which was 23 hours. So I was well fed. <laughs> but what if you if you could have had anything you wanted, what would it have been? I probably would have had a fruit salad. <laughs> what, what is wrong with you? We're meant to be best friends, Lucy. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Rocky all over again for you, isn't it? Oh, it is. Honestly, anybody that picks something healthy just makes me angry. Alex is always picking broccoli. I'm just like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, I could have eaten broccoli. <laughs> No, no, stop it. I don't know. You two are like my closest friends and I can't be friends with Ivory anymore. I'm sorry. This is over. TPU is dead. <laughs> Our friendships are dead. But um, it's, just, it's so nice because um, like, especially like after the, the C-section, um, I actually ended up having gas and air. So I was like, oh, my mouth is so dry. And I just, I just felt so exhausted. You know, my energy, my um, I lost quite a lot of blood, so I was it had zero energy. So it was, it was really good because it was hydrating and it gave me a little boost of of something. Yeah, I can imagine you are selling it to me. It probably is like technically better than a steak, <laughs> but also it's not steak, is it? But I, it made me laugh so much because I was in the. Um, uh, I wasn't on the, the recovery ward. I was still in the maternity bit, but on like the recovery because it was an emergency C-section. So I was on like the recovery room of the maternity of the actual um, labour ward, and uh, it was just my mum bringing in this bowl like covered in cling film, just being like, "I've got a fruit salad," <laughs> and you be like, "Nom nom 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 nom." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I enjoy that. I enjoy that thoroughly. Yeah. So we'll move on to our next question now, which hopefully with all your expertise, you will have uh, a nice bit of info here. What would be your one bit of advice that you would give to a parent who finds out that they're pregnant? It can be around birth, parenting, anything you like. So I think it's it's um, a bit of a catch-all one, which is just be informed. Just do as much research as you can. And like especially, um, I know Jade and I have spoken about, and I'm sure you two have, you know, the word plan. So you can have a plan and it can change. But even just having it written down and the, the difference between the two births, I would actually say was probably the birth plan written down. You get taken so much more seriously um, and people really, people know where they stand as well. I think that's really helpful so even if you're talking birth you know everyone knows their job everyone knows what you expect even if it doesn't happen they sort of know where your head's at a bit so that they can be just like oh okay well I know you didn't want this but this is the option and these are the benefits and you know risks and everything 
Whereas I think if you don't write it down, then people don't know where they stand and um, you're not in a position to actually like, actually, this is what I want in my birth plan because you're labouring. Yeah, you're busy. Yeah. And even like postnatally, again, you can change your mind once you've actually had your baby or babies. Um, But just know people knowing what they want to do. You know, you might not want people to come over so if you say to people, actually, I don't know if I'm going to want people around for the first two weeks or however long, um, but if I change my mind, I'll let you know. People know where they stand. They're not going to get annoyed. You're not going to get annoyed. You know, you can change your mind about things. Um, and again, with like breastfeeding or formula feeding, make sure you're informed and you can make a decision then, you know, if you're having issues breastfeeding, because you've already looked into it you sort of know where to go where you know because not everyone knows about breastfeeding so people that you're going to get the information from might not have the correct information I think it's so common for people to whether with birth or with feeding their baby say things like I'm just going to see what happens and so often breastfeeding you know people will be like I like the idea of breastfeeding but I'll just see what happens and that comes from like a lifetime of hearing people say that they weren't able to breastfeed and things like that which often is through lack of information or support around them and so your baby comes out breastfeeding isn't it's you know people always say it's natural not like breathing but like walking you do need to actually do some learning and you know there are kind of you do fall down and get back up um, so if it happens and it's not as easy as you thought and you turn to your auntie or your mom and ask for information, that might not be, it might not be all the information. It might not be accurate information. If you are needing to seek support from somewhere and you don't already have like a place to go or like a list of websites written down or something, then it can really just feel like too much when you're in the thick of it to be sourcing this information. So any of that in advance is really going to give someone like a leg up to be able to get that support quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think I think informed is probably just like a catch all for everything, you know, just I can't remember who I was talking to about this the other day, but, you know, even like sort of 50 to 100 years ago, you wouldn't need it, wouldn't have needed to do all that research because we would have been surrounded by people or, you know, birthers that you would have seen a bit more of actual people giving birth and what it would like and what potentially stages you'd go through like you wouldn't necessarily be like oh well that's transition and that's you know but you would you'd have a a vague idea of what was going to happen and again the postnatal period everyone would come to come together and a village yeah exactly and we just don't seem to have that anymore no we don't it's very sad and yeah you'd have had like wise women that yeah. would have been like, you know, the older women that would have given birth and seen birth and been at many births. And like, they'd have been like your midwives, for example, but... That's what we are. That's what we are. We are we're the wise women. <laughs> we're the wise women. <laughs> Always referring to myself as a wise woman. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, yeah, I mean, I love that, being informed. Like, that is one of, like, my best bits of advice to people as well, is research everything, know your shit, essentially. And it's the same thing, but in a much more polite way, which is basically... <laughs> what you are you are a polite person compared to me 
Don't bury your head in the fucking sand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So let's talk um, about your birth then. That's what we're here to do. Before we do that, very quickly, show Alex your tattoo. I don't know if you can see it. It's, it's cute. It's cute, isn't it? Now tell Alex what your mother said. She just she just looked at me and went, that's Jade, isn't it? <laughs> and I was just like, I mean, I'm a 33-year-old woman with my own family I think I can make my own decisions but yes yes it is all Jade yes we can blame her that's absolutely fine <laughs> you wait that little that tattoo looking lonely Lucy Van that little tattoo needs a friend I know I was just like it would look nice with a few little flowers around it it's how it starts you get one and you can't stop honestly I bet you I'll get blamed for all of them as well wouldn't I oh yeah yeah oh and yeah so uh my husband's now getting a tattoo because he can't. Uh... He was like, Lucy, you're not getting tattooed and I'm not. That's not yeah. fair. So he is now getting a tattoo. And will that be blamed on me as well? Yeah. Okay, you... cool. That's fine. <laughs> anyway, I just thought you'd enjoy that story, Alex. God's first one as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They went to lunch once with Jade and Luke and that's it. Now they're both getting tattoos. What's next? Actually, to be fair, I think it's Luke's fault, not yours. Okay, well, that's fine. We can blame Luke for that one then. (laughs) Anyway, I thought you'd enjoy that, Alex. But let's talk birth. So Lucy has given birth to two babies, and we thought it'd be interesting for you to hear her story because her first birth, I'm sure Lucy won't mind me saying, was quite traumatic and wasn't like what you wanted to happen. So when you got pregnant again, obviously went into doing a lot of detail so talk us through your first birth a little bit if you don't mind like you don't have to go into loads of detail just kind of whatever you're happy to share about it and I mean, I'm happy it. to share all of it I've, I've done quite a lot of work so that I actually um I can don't cry about it without crying now yeah. so that's, that's Yay! Good. well done on doing the work <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so uh the, the pregnancy itself was not ideal it wasn't quite as bad as Jade's was with River but it was it wasn't good I felt sick for most of it. I had passed out a few times. Um, you know, I just, and I was just absolutely huge. I, <laughs> I was so uncomfortable and I had summer baby, both of mine are summer babies. Um, yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't feeling great about it. I was obviously excited that I was having a baby. So I think really where, where I can sort of pinpoint where it started to go a little bit awry was I had a midwife appointment and uh, they did a measurement and uh, I'd got smaller however I was getting close to my due date so chances our baby had dropped um, but they wanted to put me in for a growth scan so I went for a growth scan and they went straight to um, the consultant to say that I was going to have this massive baby and yeah so because it was my first time so I went straight up to, to talk to the consultant just to see what they were going to say he basically laughed at me for wanting a home birth and told me I'm going to have a c-section so completely cut undercut all my confidence what a twat <laughs> to you there and say what an absolute twat that makes me so cross carry on I had done a bit of um hypnobirthing but obviously it's your first time isn't it so if someone says something you are you are still nervous it doesn't matter if you put on a bit of work or obviously I didn't do as much work as I, I should have done and I wasn't informed as much as I should have been so then obviously that's sort of already in the back of my head and I remember just crying and crying being really upset obviously I went to you know 
the usual sources, parents and what have you, and they, they can only go on what they they know. And it's a bit difficult within my family because I've got nurses. So my husband's a nurse, my mum was a nurse, uh, my husband, my husband's mother <laughs> was also a nurse. So they're a bit indoctrinated into the, the institution anyway. So um, whilst they were, you know, supportive of what I wanted to do, they were also a bit more on the medical side. So they were saying, well, you need to take into consideration what they're saying and they sort of know what's best and all that stuff. Mm. Of course, actually, at that point, they did know more, a lot more than I did. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't really actually argue with that. Um, it was fine. Baby was fine. Um, and uh, I decided to have uh, some stretches and sweeps. No one told me the risks of having stretches and sweeps. Well, risk-free, aren't they, Lucy? Completely <laughs> risk-free. I mean, that but, is what we have been told before. We have had midwives say there's no risk to a stretch and sweep. There absolutely is. So, well, it's on. It is important for me to say this at this point because of what happened later on. Yeah, exactly. So I had a couple of stretches and sweeps. Well, no, I had one and um, I don't know, maybe six days later because I was going to see the midwife the next day and Scott and I went for a long walk. So I was about 13, 38 weeks at this point. I went for a nice long walk and I was just like, I've either weed myself or, it, you know, it's a bit of um amniotic fluid I wasn't really too sure so I mentioned it to my midwife because I was going to have another stretch and sweep and um she was just like "Mm, I don't think it would be so she went ahead and did the stretch and sweep and when she'd finished this is probably too much information but no no no, we love the information there's never so much as too much information obviously she pulled her hand out and it was all wet and she said oh actually that seems like a that does seem like a a, a, a rupture um I think you should probably go in and just have that checked oh no I think she said if you've got any more coming out then you should go and get checked right anyway I sort of ignored that and I went and got checked yeah got went to the hospital they said oh no I don't think that's that is you probably just weed yourself they've got checks which I didn't know that they did but they have checks um and they swab you and it came back that it was amniotic fluid so they said well if you don't go into labor in 24 hours we need to induce you so that's what happened because I didn't go into labor because I was so stressed Mm -hmm. um and they made it sound quite urgent as well so I was just like oh okay well you know if this is what I need to be doing this is what I need to be doing it felt like a in it to me it felt like an informed decision and it felt like you had no other option because you were told if you don't exactly. in 24 hours. Yeah. There was no talk about the fact that you don't have to. Yeah. There was no talk about the fact that that's not evidence-based at all. There's no talk. It's the thing, isn't it? We hear it. Alex and I hear it so often where people come to us and they're like, my waters are broken. I've been told if I don't go into labour in 24 hours, that's it. I need to be induced. Yeah. In, in a different hospital at the road, it is 48 hours. In another hospital down there, it's 72 hours. And if you go, if your waters break pre-37 weeks, they leave you for as long as possible without going into labor because they want to keep baby in there so yeah very interesting um of course i know all the the nuances now but oh, of course yeah it's very different first time yeah. around you know we went in and we were booked in for 10 o'clock in the morning and we were ignored for maybe eight hours at this point we were shattered because we were waiting in hospital a bit confused because we were told that you know we had to get induced because the risk of infection all this sort of stuff actually no I don't I think it was so we went in at 10 and we got seen about one-ish to get a pessary and then yeah just left to it sort of thing so that's another finger up the another finger up the bag yeah I was feeling some twinges but nothing 
Nothing major. Anyway, sort of a long story short, by about nine o'clock ish, they decided that I was going to have the drip. So I'd been in hospital at this point for what is that, 11 hours? Yeah. So then I went, they, they put me into the smallest room, even though I've said that I, this is when I'm saying you need to write things down because yeah. I said to them I wanted to be as active as possible and they put me in the smallest room. I got a midwife that actually I didn't feel comfortable with. So I think that's another thing, you know, you are able to change your midwives and you shouldn't worry about upsetting them. No, shouldn't give a shit about it. I appreciate that at the moment, the state of the midwives, you know, you might not be able to change them. But at least I think if you air that concern, then they might be able to change their behaviour a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she told me I couldn't eat. She told me that I couldn't move because I was upsetting that I had monitors on. So I wasn't able to use the bouncing ball because she told me off. And that makes that- me so cross. <laughs> For those who can't see, Jade and Alex have their hand in their face. <laughs> um, and this is going to sound really stupid, but she put, um, what's that called? Is it a cannula? Yeah. Cannula in. And oh my God, it hurts so much. Do you know what she said? She was just like, oh, if you um, if you can't handle that pain, you're not going to do very well, are you? Fuck off. Fuck off. Do you and know actually, A cannula is not meant to happen. Like, it's useful in certain, certain situations, but it is ultimately a medical procedure. It's not something your body is expecting. It's not something your body is getting ready for throughout pregnancy. It is something that, you know, all the will in the world, your body's not thinking, ah, release and get ready for this. <laughs> Whereas actually your body is getting ready to do the bodily function of like, <laughs> fuck off, you horror. And it's That's only a just... horrible thing for her to say to you. That's <laughs> vile. But sorry, carry on. <laughs> I was induced and just not having a great time of it. I didn't really want any any drugs. I was happy with gas and air, but anyway, I ended up having it all. I ended up having a C- the C-section. And um, so I don't really have any fears, but one of my fears is surgery. Yeah, yeah no, I get so, that. <laughs> so I was there just shaking and they told me to stop shaking. And I was like, I can't stop shaking. Another thing people don't really mention when you're having a C-section is that you you can't feel the pain as such, but you can feel everything still. So you can, this is not me trying to put anyone off a C-section at all. You can feel like, and especially with Bertie, because he was too, he was quite far down by this point. They actually struggled getting him out because he was too far down in my pelvis. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting. And then when he came out, (laughs) I don't remember them saying this, but my husband does. And he said that they were just like, oh yeah, that is a really bad smell. And yeah, because it turns out that actually I had an infection and so did Bertie. So the reason I wanted to mention this the stretches and sweeps, because obviously that's where the infection, you can get an infection from. Yeah. So I genuinely believe that that's where I got the infection, well, where we both got the infection from. So I do feel, I don't feel as guilty about it now, but I definitely felt guilty for quite a long time because I felt like I I said yes to those things. It was ultimately my decision and ultimately my fault. I don't want to say it quite like that, but, you know, that's how you feel, you know. It is. And this is why, like, partly we encourage people to get so informed beforehand, don't yeah. we? know the risk and the benefits and we're not finding out down the line that something we've done actually had risks that we weren't aware of because we are groomed to accept these things so if we're not informed 
accepting them as just sort of the default, isn't it? And then yeah. end up in that situation where we find out, oh, actually, everyone but me seems to know that this infection risk is there and I didn't know that and I should have looked into it. And it's very much internalised, isn't it? Me, 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 I should have. I shouldn't have done that. I said yes. That's something that getting informed can help us with where if you accept the thing that has the risks then you've done so from an informed place and you're more likely to be accepting of yourself doing that well I knew that and I weighed it up and it was the right thing for me to do at the time yeah and as soon as I we decided to have Otis I knew I knew that I wanted to have an informed experience you know Well, that was the first part of Lucy's uh, lovely birth story. Um, so if you want to hear the second part, which is her V-backing, um, then tune in next week for part two. That's us for today. We hope you loved this episode. We'll be back next week with more birthy goodness. In the meantime, come and join us on the gram at The Birth Uprising, where we'll be prattling around and talking all things birthy. If you want more from us, then check out our digital pack at www.thebirthuprising.com. That'll do.